Still our hearts, we want to hear from God this morning. We want to know what He thinks as we look at 1 Corinthians 8. The title of my message today is Love in Liberty. Love in Liberty. If you, uh, does everybody have one of these sheets? They're going to be kind of my uh, main points as I go through this message. But does the Bible give us what is acceptable when it comes to how we do our religion? And we are part of religion, Christianity. We're Protestant, uh, we might say. Does the Bible give us bounds and, and parameters of how we do religion? How many religions do you think there are in the world today? Thousands, okay. It's kind of impossible to know, but there's estimated there's over 4,000 different religions in the world today. And I'm sure there'll be more as people make up other religions. I grew up in the United States, and United States as a whole typically is more of a Christian nation. Now, we, we do live in an area, in a region that has other religions. If you go to Dearborn, Islam is, is a larger swath of a religion. But for the most part, we live in a culture, in a society that is more Christian in how we move in this culture. Now, that does not mean everybody's a Christian, but it just means we have... Judeo-Christian ethics and how we do life. And so when we come to this letter, this portion of 1 Corinthians 8, it might seem a little interesting to us because Paul is talking about food that has been offered to these idols and then being taken and sold in a marketplace. And people coming, buying that at a, at a little more inexpensive price, like kind of day-old bread, and eating it or consuming it. Or, like a restaurant, they would go to the temple, they would sit down and have a nice juicy steak. And some people within the Corinthian church was going, whoa, what are you doing? That meat was offered to an idol. I can't do that. And then there were other Christians in that church that was going, man, this is just me. This is some good stuff. Eat away. And so Paul takes up this issue that they were having and saying, we're going to talk about this. And it's about conscience. Typically when you hear, or at least I've heard this message, it has been about things like playing cards. Do we play cards or we don't? Um, do we drink beer or, or do we not drink beer? Do we smoke or, or do we not smoke? I, I love a pipe once in a while. Can Christians do these things? I don't think this passage, though, is what this is about. These things. Gambling, playing cards, watching certain movies. I think the things we're going to hear today can apply to these things, but that is not what this passage is about. This passage deals with worship and with religion. 
and how those situations play out. I was thinking about in our area where we live, we've got, I mentioned Dearborn, and we live in close proximity. Now, what do Muslims eat? What kind of meat? Halal, right. Now, what does what makes halal halal? What makes that meat halal? Does anybody know? Preparation and the rites. To make meat halal, you cut the jugular, you drain all the blood, and then you say a witness or a prayer over that meat. And the prayer goes like this. There is no God but God. I would affirm that. And Muhammad is the prophet of God. That's what that says. Now, I would disagree with that second part. Now, I have one of my favorite burgers in town is in Dearborn. It's at a gas station. It's called Tasties. I love Tasties. But all they serve is halal meat. Well, if I had a friend who came to understand that Jesus Christ was the only way to God and not Muhammad, and he said, Cleet, I can't go to Tasties because they have halal meat and it's been prayed over and Muhammad is not God, Jesus is God. Man, I can't go. And man, when I see you going, do you realize what they're doing? How do I interact with that brother or sister? And I think that's what we're going and getting at this morning. I was talking to Arpith about this message, and he said in India, they still sacrifice food to idols. A lot of grains and, and those type things in those cultures. And a lot of the Christians abstain from that food that has been offered to idols, even though they could eat it, they abstain from it. Now, I'm sure there's Christians there that go, dude, it's just offered to whatever you can now paul says as we start now concerning foods offered to idols we know that all of us possess knowledge this knowledge puffs up but love builds up what is paul saying here he says listen we all have things we know that's why we know them you say you can eat i say you can't we all have knowledge right and typically, we all have that knowledge believing we are right. Typically, we don't think, oh, this is what I believe and I know I'm wrong. We believe it because we think it's right. That puffs up. Do you have to win that argument? Do you have to understand that, hey, this is what I think. I'm right. You're wrong. He's like, hey, listen, knowledge puffs up if it's for knowledge's sake only. But love builds up. He's not saying don't have knowledge. But he's like, don't use that as a weapon. We all have knowledge, but don't let it puff you up. It's almost like a balloon that expands as you have it. As you have real knowledge, you realize really, though, how much you really don't know about a certain subject. As I've come... As a Christian to the Bible, I realize I know less than I did probably when I was a new Christian, or at least I thought I knew a lot. I know less. As I study, I'm realizing, wow, I don't know as much as I think I know. Paul is saying, listen, you have knowledge. There is one God. 
they're sacrificing these meats to these idols. They're not gods. Yes, they call them gods, but they are not gods. Deuteronomy 6.4, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. There is no other God. These are all fake gods. And Paul's saying, yes, we know that. In Acts 17, he's talking to the people in Athens. And he says, listen, you've got a, a shrine here to the unknown God. That's the God. That's the real God. There is but one God and one way to God, and that is through Jesus Christ. He tells the Corinthian believers, these recent converts, that yes, one God, but understand, a lot of people are coming out of these pagan religions. And so they have a conscience of going, man, I just can't go there. Yeah, I know there's one God, but do you know what they do and who they worship? And I cannot do that. Paul goes on in the chapter to say, don't flaunt your freedom, your knowledge in front of your brother or sister and cause them to stumble. Love them. The second greatest commandment is what? Love your neighbor as yourself. And later, in chapter 10, Paul tells the believers, not to seek the good of their own, but the good of others around them. There were things in my life that I gave up when I became a Christian that later on I was able to do because I had freedom in Christ and I didn't have the conscience telling me not to do it. Doesn't mean I seared my conscience. It means I grew in Christ realizing that's okay to do. There was a time that I did not drink any alcohol for years because I thought to be holy, I must abstain. And as I grew in Christ, I realized, no, I'm not to be drunk. Alcohol wasn't the problem. It was my discipline of the alcohol that would be the problem. And how I drank. The Bible talks about whether therefore you eat you drink, or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Do I do that with everything that I do? How do I treat my brother and sister that do not see it the same way as I do? Do I walk in love? Or do I walk in knowledge of I am right, you are wrong? Second portion of this message is do not defile your conscience. And the flip side is don't be a stumbling block. Do not defile your conscience and don't be a stumbling block. If you are convinced that certain things are wrong, do not do them. Do not do them. Do not defile your conscience. I, in my early days said alcohol was wrong. Now for me to pick up a beer and to drink it would have been a sin because my conscience was telling me not to do it. Do not defile your conscience. I was thinking through some things in our modern day culture 
that might be applicable to religious rites and, and observances. And I was thinking about we just passed this holiday called Halloween. Now, some of you dressed up and went to parties. Some of you did not because your conscience would not allow you to do that. Because some of you know or some of you believe that this was a, a devil-worshipping time. That this was the day of the dead, the origins of it. Others of you go, hey, I just know. I go up to a door and say, trick or treat, I get candy. That's all it's about for me. Where, where was your conscience on that? If, if your conscience tells you not to do it and not to participate, don't participate. Now, the Bible talks about one day is no different than the other. My conscience early was I did not participate in Halloween. I don't have the same conviction now. But when somebody does, I don't look down upon them. I don't judge them. They're in a different place than I am. And that's okay. I love them just the same. They should not judge me and I should not judge them. Now, where the judgment comes, if it's clear in Scripture that this is wrong, I don't have freedom to sleep with my neighbor's wife. That's not a liberty issue. It's wrong. My conscience should bear witness to that, as well as yours should. The Bible's pretty clear on that. I was thinking of Christmas. There's some Christians that do not participate in Christmas because do you realize the Christmas story is all jacked up? The wise men didn't come at the birth of Jesus when he was two days old or whatever it was. The, the nativity scene we see is not completely accurate. The tree is actually from a pagan ritual. Now, if you don't know that and you just celebrate it because that's the culture which you grew up in, fine. But if your conscience tells you, listen, this is not right, this is pagan, don't sear your conscience. But how do we interact with one another? If I found out you don't have a Christmas tree, you don't put lights up, I go, wow, that guy's wacky. He's thinking some weird stuff, man. Or do I love that person? And does that person who goes, wow, you celebrate Christmas? You really think a lot about the pagans, don't you? Like You don't even love Jesus. You're celebrating Christmas. How do we interact with one another? Do we have grace in those areas for one another? We need to be studying the Word of God. We need to be looking at what the Word says, talking to one another in love. Don't be a stumbling block. When you don't have that conviction, don't belittle someone. Don't invite them to your Halloween party if they don't like Halloween. Paul doesn't say to stay completely away from going to the temple and eating. What he says is, be careful. And if I think that I'm going to cause you to stumble, I'm not even going to go. Matter of fact, I'm not even going to eat. He wants to show 
love and deference to the other person. Now, we know Paul ate because he went on to live many years after this. And I'm sure he ate temple food. Nick will be preaching two weeks from now. Pastor Charles will be taking up 1 Corinthians 9, and then Nick will be 1 Corinthians 10. And in that passage, Paul gives a word to those who have a weak conscience. He says, when you go to someone's house, don't ask if the food has been offered to an idol. So he says to the Christian, listen, be careful not to flaunt if you can go to the temple. But he also says later on to that person who has a weak conscience, don't ask questions that you don't need to ask. Don't ask it. So we need to take this whole thing in context. It says in chapter 10, if an unbeliever invites you to a meal and you want to go, eat whatever is put before you without raising question of conscience. I want us to understand the posture of our heart, whether we can or cannot, should be love. Should be love. Not about our rights, but love for one another. We are commanded to love our neighbor as ourself. In John 13, Jesus is talking to His disciples and He says, A new commandment I give you. Love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are My disciples if you have love for one another. Jesus laid down His rights in the heavenly kingdom to come to this earth to die a death that He did not deserve for me. So that I could be redeemed. He loved me that much. That He would die for me. So that I could have forgiveness of sin. He laid down His rights and showed deference and love. I didn't deserve it. But that's what He did for me. Have you come in contact with this Jesus who is the greatest example of love. Do you know what it means to have your sins forgiven? To not need your rights, your liberties, to not hold on to them so tightly that you cannot love your neighbor as yourself. Do you know this Jesus For unfortunately, all of us are going to fail. We're going to stumble in these areas. But that's where grace and forgiveness comes in. And that's why we need to be loving one another, be gracious with one another, forgiving one another, just as we have been forgiven. One of the things that, as I was going through this, 
we see a weak conscience being referred to all through the Scripture. In, in 1 Corinthians 8, 1 Corinthians 10, Romans 14. But what you don't see is Paul making the strong conscience. He never says the strong. He only says that person who has a weak conscience. Now, we always go left, right, right, wrong, up, down. We make these dichotomies. Paul doesn't make that here because we are all weak in certain areas. We are all weak. And if we think we're the strong ones, it's nothing but arrogance and pride. Now, yes, there is maturity in Christ, but that is proved by love for one another. Unfortunately, like I said, we all stumble. I was thinking about the phrase, love your neighbor. I had a young lady tell me, if I was to love my neighbor, I needed to be vaccinated in masks. Could be, but not necessarily. Because I could tell you, if you're to love your neighbor, stop driving, because you could hit him in the car. A lot of car accidents out there, right? We do not bind people's conscience with things like love your neighbor and tell them if you're to love your neighbor, this is what you got to do. I could say, hey, the abortion clinic down the street, if you're not out there picketing every Saturday, you're not loving your neighbor. Would that be true? Not necessarily. But it might be a way to show your love for your neighbor. It might be a show love for your neighbor by wearing a mask. But that doesn't necessarily mean that is loving your neighbor. We cannot bind people's conscience with what we believe. We must love them the way Christ loved us. Don't be that guy or gal who binds people's conscience saying, well, if you don't do this, you really don't love Jesus or your neighbor. I was looking at um, a website. Uh, oh, which one was it? Nine Marks website, yes. And uh, I had put a Google search in like binding conscience. Like, what are some things out there that bind people's conscience? And there's a ton of things, what we say. Like, don't drink alcohol because you'll get drunk and so the person doesn't drink alcohol and they feel, hey, I'm holy. Not necessarily. Just because you abstain from something that somebody tells you does not mean you're right with God. And so there was five things they had put down about people that have a bound conscience. And I thought a couple of them were pretty good. One of them was those of tender conscience or weak conscience may fall into needless fear that they're incurring God's wrath because they failed to behave in a certain way or do a certain thing. I thought, that's good. Like, if I was to crack this beer and drink it, is God going to be mad at me right now? He might, because I probably shouldn't be drinking on a Sunday morning in service. <laughs> that would be... But, would I be incurring His wrath if I drank it tomorrow? If it was my conscience telling me not to drink it, I would be. I would be sinning, but no. So we make God out to be this 
kind of tyrant that he's not. Number two was, those who tend towards complacency may feel a false assurance that they're spiritually all right because they, in fact, have towed the line of outward behavior that was condemned. It gives us a false sense of where we are with God. Those who, number three, those who are pharisaical may be tempted to look at other Christians not following these commands and conclude with smug satisfaction that those other believers are less holy. Well, they go and go trigger-treating. They're not as holy as I am. Or they smoke a pipe. They're not as holy as I am. Number four was those who are rebellious may feel an urge to disobey the command. However good advice it is, just because it has been framed as an absolute command. This was interesting because I have all my life tended towards that. If I know it's not wrong and you tell me it's wrong, I'm probably going to do it just out of spite. That's the way I was as a kid anyway. I think I've grown a little bit in that. But it's true. Number five was those who are wavering in faith may see your binding of their conscience as foolish and unreasonable and equate it to go, maybe all of Scripture is that way, foolish and unreasonable. Why am I even listening to this? Our culture today is full of virtue signaling, full of things that I think you should do or you shouldn't do. But we need to go back to this book. Go, what? does God want from our life? And this is what He wants. Whether therefore you eat, whether therefore you drink, whatever you do, do it to the glory of God. Love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And love your neighbor as yourself. How are we doing with this Restore Church? Are we loving one another well? How are we doing with this? Knowledge puffs up, causes pride. Love causes us to be humble with one another. If your conscience will not allow you to do it, don't do it, but grow. And if your conscience will, don't be a stumbling block to your neighbor. Love them. And sometimes we don't even know if we're being a stumbling block. But that's where proximity and relationship come in. If you don't know, I think in our day and age which we live in, in our social media, it can be you see things at a distance that you're like, whoa. And we judge people probably more harshly because we see things at a distance. And that person doesn't even know they've offended or whatever, or been a stumbling block. But also, I do want to say this before I close. Just because someone doesn't like something doesn't mean you're going to cause them to stumble if you do it. There are people out there that say, hey, 
you shouldn't do X or Y or Z. Well, am I going to cause you to do it because your conscience tells you not? No, I just don't like you doing it. Well, that's a little bit different. We still need to love one another and have, have some conversation, but that's a little different than searing or being put a binding on someone's conscience. This message today has been about a conscience. It's not necessarily about what is right or wrong, but it is about what is your conscience telling you and then how do you respect someone else's conscience? I want to close by telling you that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to God the Father but through Him. I mentioned the, the prayer that's prayed over the halal meat that the messenger of God is Muhammad. That is not true. It is Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. If you are searching for who Jesus is or just in a stage of wanting to know more about different religions, I would love to sit down with you and talk to you about who Jesus Christ is and what He has done. Because what He's done in my life is I am a sinner. I have went against God's commands, His laws. Adam helped me with that, being the first man, plunged creation into sin. But I was not innocent. I was a willing participant in that. But Jesus died on a cross 2,000 years ago so that I could be forgiven. A man who was perfect, a man who had never sinned, yet died for my sin. Because the Bible says the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. This life is not the end. This is only the beginning to a new life. Jesus came and died a death that I deserve to die because of my wages of sin. But then He rose again three days later. Death in the grave. Proving that He was God. And so we celebrate that today. Worship team, if you would come, we're going to sing a couple more songs and celebrate this God who made a way so that we could live on this earth in love with one another. Not judgment, but love.